I'm going to read you a couple of God's promises before I get into the message that I'm going to teach you today. And I just want to, some of you know these promises, but I'm just going to read two or three well-known promises before I get into Philippians. I'm going to teach out of Philippians today. But just so that you get this kind of in your spirit on a regular basis, I've realized that the promises of God have to be beat into us day by day or we don't remember them. We forget them, especially when the enemy comes upon us. Now then, we can go to church every Sunday of our life, and then one day the enemy comes by and he throws his black veil over you in a trial. And when he does, it's just like that black veil. You have forgotten everything you've known. And you yield to what's inside, which is the flesh. And it's like you don't yield to the Word. But you must remember these promises. You must have these promises hidden in your heart. And you must know them when the enemy comes. Because like we talked last week over there in Matthew chapter 7, the trials and tests of life comes to who? The lost or the saved? To all. It makes no difference who you are. Lost or saved, the trials and tests of life will come to every human being on this earth. Now, the Lord told us in Matthew 7 last week, the man that builds his house on the rock, which is Christ, his house will stand. If he stands on the promises, it will stand. Now, then, if you don't build your house on the rock, then great will be the destruction of your house, which is your flesh. And that's so sad, you know, that you can be in church all your life and never know these wonderful things. But it's right here in the Word. So I'm going to read to you some of these mighty promises. And I'm going to read to you a promise again that we've read many times, but we need to hear it many times. Now, I might be like this preacher that somebody said he'd come in, he's a brand new preacher, he took a job in a church and he preached a message. And everybody thought it was a great message. But the next Sunday, he preached the exact same message. And the third Sunday, and the fourth Sunday, and the fifth Sunday, the same message. Finally, the deacons came up to him and said, Sir, that's a great message you preached, but we heard it five times in a row. When are you going to change? He said, When you all do what it says. (laughs) Then we'll go on to something else. Well, that's kind of the way it is. We hear the Word, but we don't act on the Word. So that's why I quote the Word over and over to you, because some of these promises I read over and over. I even had a man come up to me this morning that goes to a Baptist church in the morning, and he said, i got to have five seconds of your time before church. I said, okay, what is it? He said, our pastor this morning at the end of the service, he said, we have a little boy here, I'm going to call him up here, and we're going to anoint him with oil and pray the prayer of faith over him for healing, according to James 5.14 this morning. And he said, I was the first man down there to pray with him. Because we need some men of faith, right? And if men of faith are there, that little boy will get healed. That's what God's looking for, men of faith. Now, there may not be many men of faith come down there, but at least we know one went down there this morning. You know, at least one. So that's all it takes, is one. 
So now then I want you to realize here in this promise, in Psalm 103, these first five verses, I'm going to just, this is just uh, extra this morning. This is not the message, but this is extra because it is God's Word. And some of you have this memorized. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Now let me tell you folks, this is the best benefit package in the world. You will never find a better one at a lower cost anywhere than this one. It costs Him dearly, but it don't cost you anything. He gives it to you free. Verse 3, who forgives all your iniquities. Now, how many of your iniquities or sins does he forgive? When you ask him, he forgives them all. So when you say, Lord, I'm sorry, I messed up here or I messed up there. When I come to Christ and accept him as my Lord and Savior, right there he washes your slate clean and makes you perfectly clean and pure. And then after that, you're not supposed to sin anymore. But unfortunately, we don't know that in the church. So we go out and continue to sin and, and grumble and complain and talk evil about people and everything else. And we live over there in the devil's world where sickness and disease is. And we don't walk holy in obedience to his word. And so since we as Christians live more in the devil's world and we're doing God's world, that's why we get sick and afflicted because that's where sickness and disease is. But if we live in God's world... He forgives all of our iniquities and He heals all of our diseases. All of them. See, by knowing that, that's how I could guarantee Dave that if he had stand on God's Word, he would heal him because he promised he would. And of course, he did. But he went through something else. But it'll be an awesome testimony to hear next Saturday. Who redeemeth your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Now, I love all of that. That is the most wonderful, awesome benefit package I have ever read. I have worked for some good companies in my life, some big companies, some airlines and all kinds of stuff. I've done all kinds of things in my life worked for big companies, and some of them had some very good benefit packages. But I have never had one that could touch this. Never. But this is yours if you're an obedient Christian. Walking in obedience to God's Word, you notice the level or the order that he puts them here. Did he say he heals you first? No, he said he forgives your iniquities first, and then He heals you. And then He does all these other wonderful things for you. Now then, since He's a faith God, what if you don't know these things and you never claim them? Then you can have them. You can have these iniquities. You can have sickness and disease. In fact, the, the night I asked the Lord, the night I learned the meaning of this word sozo, which set me free many years ago, when I learned that, come in, young lady, come in, praise the Lord. Whenever I learned the truth of that word, I, I was so astounded that I said, Lord, if this is true, 
then I was not only saved when I was 11 years old, but I was healed and I was made whole when I was 11. I said, if that's true, why have I been sick so many times since I was 11? And he spoke to me in a voice just as clear as I can hear my voice right now. He said, son, you have never received me as your healer by faith in my word. I said, Lord, I have to do everything by faith in your word. He said, if you want it, that is the only way. That night, I fell on my knees with my hands raised as a Southern Baptist Sunday school teacher and deacon and received Jesus as my healer. I have never been sick since that day. You know what a privilege it is not to have to be concerned about waking up tomorrow with sickness and disease? That is what God has promised you in His Word. But when the devil comes by and puts a symptom upon you of some kind, and he throws that black mantle over your head, immediately we begin to think wrong. Just like Dave told me the other night. He said, I had a little battle with the devil last night. I said, oh, you did? He said, yes. He said, I went outside and it was extremely cool. And the Holy Spirit told me twice, you need to put your coat on. And he said, I didn't. Yeah, I thought it was not that bad. I won't put my coat on. But then symptoms tried to come upon him all night of cold or flu. And he fought the beast. He said, no, 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 I'm not yielding you. See, when that devil throws that mantle over you, and that big black cape of his comes all the way down to the floor and engulfs you, it's real easy to not think about God's promises. But he stood on the Word. And by morning, all his symptoms were gone. And so nothing ever come. So if you get these promises hidden in your heart, you will never yield to the devil. You'll never yield to him in sickness and disease. When he tries to put something on you, you won't accept it. I'm going to tell you, this gospel, unfortunately, this gospel is not for weak Christians. This gospel, you must know that the battle you and I are fighting, we're in a war. You know, when, we, when you hear people tell you, uh, well, come down to my church and get saved and then everything will be perfect and you can be blessed from this day forth. Let me tell you. When you get saved, you become an enemy to the devil. And he's going to do everything he can. And from that day forth, the Jesus that you and me serve, he was a militant leader. He was constantly at battle with the devil. He was constantly from day one. Now, the devil didn't bother Jesus as long as he was a carpenter. You ever notice that? The devil didn't come to Jesus at all until... He was baptized, and he came up out of that water, and the Holy Ghost descended upon him in a visible form that everybody could see. And when he got the baptismal power of the Spirit, that's when the devil went after him, because he knew as a man in the flesh he could do nothing. But once that Spirit comes upon you, then if you will yield to that Spirit, that's when he will teach you the things from the Word, and nothing will be impossible with you. Nothing. 
it's wonderful to learn you're at battle. You're doing a war. Cheryl and I are constantly in a battle. I mean, the enemy either attacks me or it attacks her. It's, I mean, more, more her than me. But he comes to her, I mean, you know, she'll have a stomach problem or she'll have a shoulder problem or, or all kinds of things that'll happen. And I have to pray over her regularly. You know, what does the average person do? You know, you get a very severe stomach cramp for two or three days. What do you do? You go to the doctor. No, you don't. As a Christian, you're at battle, and you take the Word of God, and you make sure that you and your spouse have all your sins repented of, and then you take the Word of God, and you take these promises with the name of Jesus, and you drive out that devil. People say, well, gee, but I prayed and prayed and prayed for healing, and nothing works. Have you rebuked the devil yet? You know, that's the problem. He's the enemy. And the Lord give you and me the power over the devil. And, I mean, I got an email this week from a lady somewhere. I don't remember exactly where it was. But she said, would you mind telling me, explaining to me where you get this information about going to the third heaven and praying for people and rebuking the devil directly yourself. She said, you have created a tremendous uprising in our church. And I thought, praise God. <laughs> praise the King. I put a little something in there for them to think about. She said, my whole church is in an uproar over your teaching. I thought, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody's listening to the Word. At least... When you listen to my teaching and I teach you what the Word says, you have to confront the people in your church say, but it is written. But that's not what he meant. Then, okay, if that's not what he meant, then you wouldn't want to have me as a counselor. I had another lady that I talked to this week. She said, my husband and I are having marital problems, and we would love, he has agreed to Christian counseling. And I asked him if we could come see you. And he said, absolutely not. <laughs> and she said, why? He said, I've listened to many of his teachings and I know he believes exactly what the Bible says. And I don't want to go to a man that's not willing to compromise with me. So, if you teach the Word, some people don't want to hear what you have to say. But if you want to yield and bend to the world and compromise on God's Word, you ain't going to have no power. It ain't going to work. But no, he was not willing to use me as a Christian counselor because he had already heard too much of my teaching. He knew what I was going to say. He said, Thurman backs up everything he says. Well, it is written, I don't want him as my counselor. Isn't that amazing? So, well, all I can say is... <laughs> If it's not written in here, I don't have any strength except what's written in this book. Now then, I want to take you to one other place that we have read so many times before we get over to Philippians. And I want you to go to this magnificent promise that when you said you prayed for healing and it didn't work, this is what you need to do in Luke 10, 19 and 20. Luke 10, 19 and 20, this scripture gives you 
a picture, if you can see it, of what rightly belongs to us. Now, we're going to go into this Christmas season, and I get so tickled at us with all the things we do about putting Jesus in a manger. Now, we really don't know if Jesus was born on Christmas or not. We don't know when his birthday was, and it really doesn't make any difference when he was born, but we do know the exact day that he died. We do know exactly what he did. He did come as a man, a little insignificant human being, technically speaking, just a boy. And he was a normal boy, you know, for 30 years. And then he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and went into this battle. And I mean to tell you, he came to destroy the works of the devil and he did it. And he beat that beast and we're still fighting that same battle today. But today he's not that little bitty child in that manger. Today he's the resurrected Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the God of gods. And he's the God that defeated the forces of darkness for you and me. And he's the God that lives in you. And this last week also as I was reading these scriptures, I got a new revelation on a couple of scriptures. One of them I'm going to talk about here in just a moment. But this Luke 10, 19 and 20, look at this. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. You think we're not at a battle, then why do we have an enemy if we're not at war? And over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the evil spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Now then, if I have that kind of power over these spirits, when they attack me, what do I do? I don't pray for healing no more. I thank God for my healing because He paid for it on the cross 2,000 years ago. And when the devil tries to come upon me, I just rebuke that devil and command him to leave in the name of Jesus. That's just like the other night, whenever I've told this story many times, but some of you need to hear it again. The other night when Cheryl was having such problem with her stomach, and it was burning and she'd been praying over it for two days. When I literally, when she woke me up at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I reached under that cover and laid my hand on her stomach, and I said, you devil of hell, come out of her in the name of Jesus. That's all I said. Bam! She was instantly healed. Now then, the priest in the family has power over his mate if he's walking in obedience to the Word. And Jesus has whispered in your ear, Behold, I give unto you power or authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, the devil and his demons. All power is given to you. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. Does that mean they're not going to attack you? No. It means they're going to attack you. But when they do, make sure you have no open doors of sin to let the devil in. Now then, you can let these devils into your life, over your life, and you can do all kinds of stupid things and sins and over your life as a Christian and not even know you're opening the door to the devil and you can get multitudes of demons. And then in later life, the beast begins to manifest. And they start killing you. They start weakening your flesh. 
And many people today are weak and afflicted by the time they get 40, 50, or 60 years old. And the people, you know, I mean, when I reached 55, 11 years ago, nearly 12 years ago, when I reached 55, I started getting flyers in the mail about these little motorized wheelchairs that you will need to ride around in. Well, let me tell you, every time I go to a Walmart and I see some man or woman riding around in one of those, usually that man or woman weighs three or four hundred pounds. You know, that's unfortunate that their stomach has become their God and they've overfed their flesh. Now, there ain't but one person in the world can control what you put in that mouth and it's you. You. And it's a shame when we as Christians will let the devil work us to the point that we overfeed our flesh and we get fat. But it's totally up to us. We should not do that. You know, we should not do that. We should listen to the Word of God and present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the King. Only you can control what you put in there. I used to work at a food establishment, and I'd go up to eat, and everything was free. And many of the men and women in those places were grossly overweight. And some businessman had come by, a salesman or something, and I'd take him to lunch. And he'd sit, man, he just load up on everything. He said, I said, you can have anything you want. He said, well, I said, it's free. We provide it. And, and he'd eat a whole bunch of stuff. He said, man, I can't eat like this because I have to pay for it every day. So I'm really going to pig out here. He said, how do you stay so slim and trim? I said, it's real simple. It's discipline. It's discipline. That's what I do. I mean, I know if I sit down there and I pig out on that food every day, I ain't going to hurt nobody but me. So I ain't going to do it. But it's a choice each one of us make every day. So, it's just another enemy that comes to you to defeat you. So, you really need to realize that there is an enemy out there and you have power over him. And when that devil comes to you, you do not have to yield to him. And of course, in Mark chapter 16... Verse 17 and 18, again, Jesus said, These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name, you shall cast out devils. Now then, if this book is the Word of God, that means that we have been given power to cast out devils. But you can't cast out a devil if you're living in his world. You need to be walking holy before God, and then He will whisper in your ear, Behold, I give unto you power. If it was not like this, anybody could cast out devils and heal the sick. I've heard people teach, we as Christians all have this power and authority, and it makes no difference where you walk with God, you can heal the sick. But I disagree with that. I disagree with that. I think that the Word of God says that when you walk in love, then your faith works. If you don't walk in a God kind of love, then your faith won't work, just like I taught in Bible study Tuesday, and we're going to teach again on this coming Tuesday, that you must do what God says if you want Him to share with you His power. Now, why is it that one man will pray for his mate, maybe for weeks or months, 
and nothing happens. And then you bring them to someone else, another man or another woman of God, and they pray the prayer of faith, and the man or the woman gets healed instantly or within a matter of a few days. What made the difference? There's something different there. You all know where I'm coming from? Some people can pray the prayer of faith, and some people get healed or delivered, and some pray forever, and nothing happens. Some people pray for years, and hundreds of people pray for you, and nothing happens. And then one person prays, and you get instantly healed. There's something to all of this walking and obedience to God's Word. It is, there is another scripture, that one more scripture I want to go to. I'm trying to think what's, what scripture was it just come to my mind, and it just slipped right out of there. Ephesians. Yeah. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, makes this statement. Goes right along with what I've been telling you. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. I never saw this as many times as I've quoted that verse, as many times as I've read that, I never saw that until this week when I was talking to Dave Actually, I saw it, and then I was talking to him about that. That brought home to me what I've been teaching to you the last few minutes. Now to Jesus, that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think. And how many of you believe that Jesus can do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think? But he says he does it according to the power that works in you. Now then, is that power the same in every one of us? Obviously it's not. So what is it that makes that power work greater in some than it does in others? Why is the power greater in one person than it is in another person if the power is in each one of you? If the Holy Spirit is in you, are you feeding Him or are you feeding the flesh? That comes back to the story I heard about an Indian one time that said, There is a black dog and a white dog in me that's constantly fighting. And the guy said, Well, which one wins? He says, The one I feed the most. Okay, so you got the flesh and the spirit. We know they're battling. And you go home and watch your soap operas, you're feeding the flesh. You go home Sunday afternoon and watch a three or four hour football game, you're feeding the flesh. You ain't going to find nothing about the Word of God on that football game. In fact, I think it was last year or year before last, I don't watch TV much, so I don't know. But I heard somebody tell me that sometime in the last year or two or three, that at some big Super Bowl game or something, there was some kind of commercial 
and some woman or something did something that stripped off her breast or something. I forget what it was in front of supposedly millions of people. Is that true? Did that really happen? Okay, it was Super Bowl or something. And I thought to myself, what is it this woman thinks she has that's so beautiful that everybody would want to fall at her feet because they see her breast like we had never seen them before? For all you women, you don't have to see them. you got a pair. You don't have to see hers. And for all you men that are married, you look at your wife every day. So why do you want to look at another woman? What's the big deal with showing your breast on television? It shows you the stupidity of the woman. But that's the world. That's the world. And that's the flesh that they're feeding. And so, there's no power in those kind of people. None whatsoever. But those of us that are feeding our spirit, this being that's in us, the Word. Now, according to the power that works in you. What if you have five scriptures hidden in that power? You had not got much power. What if you got 500 scriptures hidden in that power? What if you got 5,000 hidden in there? What if you got 10,000 scriptures hidden in there? What kind of power do you think you're beginning to get now? According to the power, Christ in you is working according to the power that you have in you. And you put that in you by your willingness to open and study the Word. And that's why for years and years and years of my life, I had no power, but yet I was a Christian, a deacon, a Sunday school teacher, and a servant in a church that was willing to do anything and everything for God, and yet I had no power in me because I had no scriptures, maybe three or four, hidden in my heart that I could call upon any time I wanted to. But other than that, I didn't have them. So I had no power. But when I finally made a decision one day to sit down and read this book from cover to cover like an owner's manual and believe it and start memorizing and hiding this word in my heart, all of a sudden, after ten long years of dedicated study of five to fifteen hours a week, this book began to take on a whole new meaning to me. It didn't happen overnight. Somebody says, good grief, 10 years of 5 to 15 hours a week? I'm not willing to pay the price. Okay, then you ain't never going to walk where I walk. God is no respecter of persons. If you're not willing to hide this book in your heart, it says, according to the power that works in you, and the power is this power, and you've got to get it from here to here. And when you get it from here to here, then it'll work. If you don't spend the time to get it in there, it ain't going to work. But I'm telling you, there's nothing I've ever done that paid the dividends that this pays. Nothing. This really, really pays great dividends. It's awesome, isn't it, brother? Yeah. What it does, it pays great dividends. Now then, if that power works in you according to what is in you, then every Christian, when they get saved, they get the power. You ask the Lord for the baptismal power of the Holy Spirit. He comes into you, but still He does very little 
until you get the word in you. Now, the reason Jesus went out in the power of the Spirit from day one, from the day he was born until he was 30 years old, he had studied and his mother had read to him the scriptures. And I'm going to tell you that Jesus had the five first five books of the Torah memorized by the time he was 12 years old. Because he was already teaching the teachers at 12. Isn't that amazing? A little boy, 12 years old, teaching the teachers. Why? Because he had the Word in him. And so by memorizing the Scriptures and studying it for 30 years, maybe 25 of the 30, I bet you Jesus was studying the Scripture. I bet his mother was reading the Scripture to him when he was born. I know I started reading the Scripture to my children when Tim was two and Amanda was born. That's when I started reading. I'd pull her little bassinet up there, put her in there. She is one month old. And I'd get this Bible out and I'd read. And then I'd pray over those children. The Word of God. And that's why Timothy today is a student of the Word. He teaches the Word. And you talk about a vision. I, I, I had a pretty big vision when I was a young man. But I never had the confidence in myself to step out in business for myself after I got back from the military. I thought, you know, I'd rather work for somebody else. I, well, I'm sure I've got a job. And what a stupid thing to do. Here I had all this knowledge and wisdom, all this engineering ability and everything. And I don't know, I worked for another man for six years of my life starting out. In a uh, Chevrolet house, I'd done paint and body work. I'd done engine repair, overhauls on everything. I learned how to do everything there was on a car in six years. Paint, I could do anything. Fix a body. Didn't matter what it was, I could do it. And then I, went in, I was making $80 a week, working 54 hours a week. And then I went in business for myself. When in business myself, I said, with another man. Another man gave me a little start to get in with him. And I worked with him about three months. And then I moved down the street and rented my own building and went in business for myself. And within two or three months after that, I went from $80 a week to a, working with me and one man and my wife being the bookkeeper, we went to $100 a day. That's a little different, you know it? $80 a week, working 54 hours a week, I went to making $100 a day. And I thought, wow, this is awesome what you can do in business for yourself. And then good old Uncle Sam called me at about a year, and I had to close down my business and went in the military and went back to making like 60 or 80 bucks a month. You know, and that was a real slap in the face, and it took me months to, you know, it just, it's awful. But when I got out of the military, I was so knocked back, I didn't have enough faith to get back in business for myself. I decided to go back to school. Well, that was a good move. I went to school, but then after I got out of school, I didn't, still didn't have the faith to go to work for somebody else. I wanted to go to work for the airline. I thought they would pay me good money. And so I could have come to Dallas and went to work for Braniff. I applied for a job down here back in 1967 or whatever it was. And, and at that time, I could make about, I think it was 450 or 500 a week. Was it a week? No, that was a, that was a month. 
I don't remember what that was. Whether it was by the week or by the month. Maybe it was by the week. By the week. 450 a week, I think it was. And I said, man, this is great. You know, I'll take it. That's, the guy said, well, we need a systems technical instructor also over in the training center. I said, no, 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 no. I said, I know what it takes to be an instructor. I've been one at the school I graduated from. I stayed up there and taught a year after that, and I think of the hours I had to spend to be able to teach what I was teaching. I said, I don't want to be an instructor because I know what extra hours. I said, you have to spend as many hours out of class as you do in class and to get prepared to teach every day. I said, I don't want to spend that kind of time. They said, but we really need instructors. Would you at least please go talk to them? I said, okay. They offered me like 450 a week over here to do what I could do in eight hours a day, five days a week, and I could go home. I thought, this is great. But that's what you can do when you get an education, you know. You can't make that kind of money if you don't get an education. So anyway, I went over there and talked to him, and the guy, he called the, the school and got some uh, recommendations from them to me. I didn't know what they said, but they recommended me extremely high. And I didn't know none of this. And he said, well, we really want you to be an instructor. And he said, we'll pay you more money. I said, how much more? He said, well, we know over at the other department you're going to make 450 So we're going to give you 550 I said, I'm not interested. He said, what? For an extra $100 a week? I said, absolutely not. I know what kind of time i got to put in to do this. He said, well, how much would you have to have to be an instructor for us? I thought to myself, I'll reach for the moon, Lord. 750 He said, you're hired. I thought, good grief, I should have said 1000 But they hired me at 750 a week, and that was, I thought that was great money. And I thought, wow. But I had no idea with the abilities I had what I could do out there in the business world for myself. So I worked for somebody else all of my life. I built an empire for somebody else. I made good money, supported my family, had all kinds of good benefits, didn't know the benefit package of the Lord because I spent too much time studying engineering. But after 29 years, and the company sold twice, and they're just people, because of my walk with the Lord, and it has increased after 29 years, I got fired. Can you imagine that? You get When you work for yourself. So when my son come along, I'll tell him, son, whatever you do, I don't want you to ever entertain the fact to ever work for another human being on this earth. God has given you gifts and abilities. I've taught you the Word of God. Now I want you to get in business for yourself. I want you to seek God and see what He wants you to do. And whatever He wants you to do, that's what you're going to do. Well, that's when Tim come home that day. He had that visitation from the Lord in the car. I mean, he's always talked, Dad, you hear God's voice? Yeah. Oh, come on, Dad. God don't speak to people anymore. I said, son, he talks to me. I said, if you'll believe him, he'll talk to you. Well, one morning, he'd come in early, and he was a basket case, and he was shaking. And I said, what's wrong? Something wrong? He said, yes. I said, he said, I was coming out here this morning and said, Dad, God came in the car with me. I said, good, what did he say? And he told me what he said. And I said, well, if that's what God says, then that's what we're going to do. He told him what kind of business to get in and everything. So, we built him that business. And of course, now then, after two years, 
his gym is doing extremely well. And one of his financial people that works with him told me the other day, he said, you won't ever have to worry about Tim not having a big enough vision. I said, what do you mean? He said, Tim says in 10 years he's going to have 40 gyms around the country. 40. So, I think right now he's in the process of opening two more. He's got one going. He's opening two more. He's been in business two years, and he's opening two more. And him and his wife, they're trying to raise three children, open two more gyms. They're going to be busy. And he's trying to teach Bible studies. But at least if he will serve God, when he gets old like me, he'll have something that nobody can take away from him as long as he serves God. You won't have to worry about coming to work one morning because you're talking about Jesus. They say you're fired and you can't work here no more and take every benefit and everything you had to strip you down to nothing. But see, you've got to realize who you work for. You work for the king of the universe. And if you work for Jesus, he's going to take care of you. And he's going to take care of you good. There's not anybody in the world has a benefit package the king has. Now, in Ephesians 3.20, that power... That Christ has that is available and can do exceedingly abundantly above all you can think or imagine. But it does it according to the power that works in us. Now if that power is not very much, Ernest, we can't do much, can we? But if that power is great, mighty things happen when you speak in the name of Jesus. Right, brother? And see, that's what took me... Ten years to get on the path. Ten years of dedicated study, coming home at night, locking myself up in a room an hour, two or three at a time, five to fifteen hours a week for ten years studying this book. And then God realized I was serious. I was serious. I wanted to serve Him. To them that diligently seek me, I will reveal myself to you. Diligently. Well, I thought, I guess I didn't think that was diligent, but after 10 years, I guess God finally thought it was diligent. He said, he's serious about this. You know, he's pursuing me, and he's diligent. It'll be kind of like the girl, you know, that she sees the boy, and the boy says, boy, are you beautiful? I'd love to go with you. And she said, no, I'm not interested. Every time he sees her, he's doing something nice for her. He's bringing her flowers, telling her how beautiful she is. No, I don't want to go with you. But after a year, he's constant and he's diligent. She said, well, okay, maybe maybe he might not be such a bad catch. You know, he's so nice to me and everything. And so he goes with this girl and he's good to her. He treats her like a queen and like a lady and everything. And in five years, she says, wow, this guy's the most wonderful man I ever run in contact with. And... He says, would you marry me? And she says, by all means. I was wondering if you were ever going to ask. And then he lives with her the rest of his life. And he is a gentleman and treats her like a queen. And she's so happy. He was diligently after that girl. Well, see, that's the way God looks for us to diligently seek him. If we seek him diligently, you know, that's. When he will reveal himself to us. But unfortunately, you know, many girls today, a guy can just come by and say something to you and you'll go with him after the first or second time. And many 
women yield to men to go way beyond where they should on the first or second date. And that should never be. Never. Especially for Christians. Now then, Philippians chapter 2, we're going to start verse 9. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, or chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. We're going to get it right in a minute. Chapter 1, verse 9. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment or discernment. You see, Paul's constantly praying things over the people. He prays what he wants them to be able to receive. And then he says that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, that we may approve things that are excellent. Now then, when you and I do things as Christians, how should we do them? Flippantly? Or excellently? You should not encounter anything in the course of a day that is not according to the ability that Christ put in you. Everything you do should be excellent. Nothing haphazardly or just flippantly. Nothing. I mean, that's why as one of the engineers, I was known as one of the best engineers the corporation had. And I always got the greatest pay raise of any of them. And in all those years, I worked 17 years for the Marriott Corporation as a regional engineer. And not one time in 17 years did any appraisal that I had come from every different VP, every one of them was outstanding down the outside line of everything. I didn't have nothing but outstandings. There was nothing excellent, nothing best, nothing good, and nothing fair, and nothing not, not available, not, not good. Everything was on that right column outstanding. It made no matter what this thing said. Every VP that appraised me for 17 years, everything was outstanding. Now, how do you get a report like that? It's not being slothful, I'll guarantee you. It's getting up early in the morning, going, doing your job, and doing it excellent. And when those VPs call you and tell you, Go to Kansas City. We got a new project up there. I need to add on to the building. I need this many coolers and phasers or whatever. Go up and see what we need. Talk to the manager and find out. Order everything and get it online and get it done. And I need it done by the 26th of next month or whatever. And so I get on an airplane and go. And I made it happen. Every time I did it outstanding and excellent. I worked it in major if I had to work 24 hours a day to get it done by the deadline, I got it done. I didn't work eight hours a day and go home, never. I worked hard. And that's why I got all those good pay raises and everything. And I built them an empire if I had only done that for myself instead of for them. It would have been better. But I didn't. But anyway, that's in the past. But the Lord says here, Paul's telling us that we may approve things that are excellent. If it's not excellent, we ought to do it over. Don't do anything halfway. Do it to the best of your ability. Now, to one person, the best of your ability may be a whole lot better than the next one. I think about 
the grandmother that could have made or destroyed her little granddaughter. The grandmother painted a room. Done a great job. Put drop cloths down. Did everything. The little five or six year old granddaughter observed what grandmother was doing. The next day she goes in. She's busy in her room doing something. The next day she comes and says, Grandma, come look what I've done to my room. I've really made it beautiful. You will love it. And grandmother goes in and she had painted her room with the little watercolor sets that she had. And she had painted yellow here and blue here and red here. And she had paint all over everything. Now, how many of you would scream at that child and say, you little dummy, look what you have done. But see, Grandma didn't go there. She said, oh, honey, what you have done really looks wonderful, but let me show you what we can do to make it even look so much more wonderful. First, we need to clean up all these spots of the watercolors that you've dropped all over the carpet because we need those to be nice and clean. Then we really need the wall to be one whole color right here. So let's paint the whole wall that color from the ceiling down, not just big spots all over it. That looks good, but let's paint the whole wall. And time grandmother got through with that little girl, the room was beautiful again. But it sure did take a lot of work. But when they walked off, the little girl would bring everybody, let me show you what we, grandma and I, did to my room. And she was proud of it. You see how easy it would have been to destroy her? Look her right now and say, you little dummy. Now, how many parents do you know would do that? I've seen far too many of them. But you don't do that. You don't run your children down. You know, if you want your children to come see you when you get old, don't call them and condemning them every day. Can't you do nothing right? Why don't you do things like your sister? Your sister does things good. You little dummy, you, you always do things. Or you ain't fit for nothing. So, when are you going to come see me? Probably never, mother. <laughs> Y'all know where I'm coming from? Amen. If you want your children to come see you, they enjoy going over and you talking to them and being nice to them and sharing good things with them. But nobody wants to come over and listen to you condemn them all day long. Amen. So, your kids don't come back. When I hear people say, I hadn't seen my dad or my mother in five years. I thought, why? Something wrong with this. If you love going over there, you know. Now, you know, my son or my daughter-in-law, I live right next to them. And I don't see them too often. But when the washing machine starts making noise, a, a dad, the washing machine's not making the right kind of noise, would you come check it? <laughs> Get to see them more often when something breaks. <laughs> I told them the other day when I put a new pump on her washer, Preston, he come running in there, boys. He picked up every tool I had. He was sticking his hand in the motor. He done everything. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa! And she said, I believe he's going to be the little fix-it guy. I said, Well, praise God! I said, Tim, not the fix-it guy. So we need a fix-it boy to be passed down in this family because when I'm gone someday, we need a little fix-it guy that can run around and fix everything because Tim's not that boy. He doesn't like fixing things. But he says. And it says, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, 
which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God, with the fruits of righteousness, doing these wonderful deeds of good things, kindly deeds of love to people. That's what we as Christians are supposed to be known as. We're supposed to do these good deeds of righteousness to everyone. Verse 12, But I would that you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Now, sometimes when bad things happen to us, we don't see it like that. Most people get mad at God and stop serving Him when something happens. How many people do you know in your life that lost one of their children or their mate and they got so mad at God that they wouldn't even come to church anymore? You know anybody ever that ever happened to? Yeah. It wasn't God that we serve that killed their mate or their children. It was the devil. He was the one that was responsible. Why does God get all the credit for all these bad things? Acts of God. Even your insurance people, acts of God. They put that capital G. And those devastating things, none of them are the acts of that God. They're all the acts of the devil. He's the one that steals, kills, and destroys, not the Father. He doesn't do this. But when these bad things happen to us, Paul said, when they do these things to me, throw me in jail and beat me and all this stuff, it's for the Father and so the gospel. Because sometimes that's the only way it happens. I mean, if God didn't stir up problems over in Jerusalem, they'd have been the first church of Jerusalem. It would have never went no further than that. It would have stayed right there. But when the persecution happened, everybody fled because they were putting them in jail. Let's get away from this place. So they went other places in the world and taught the gospel. It's amazing that God has to allow the enemy to shake us up so to get us out to tell somebody about Jesus. You know, and some people will never talk about Jesus until they have a loved one that they know that gets sick and afflicted. And if they know anything about healing, then they might say, well, you know, I, have a, I know a healing ministry. That you can go to, and you know, we have seen many people get healed down there. So you might go down there and you might see what God will do. Isn't that amazing? But we won't tell people about this. Now it says, So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Because of Paul's boldness. And his willingness to go to jail. Others were able to speak boldly. But yet if he hadn't have been that bold individual. They could have not been that bold individual. So he says. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife. Now what a shame. And some also of goodwill. Of envy and strife. How could we preach how could we do that? Some preachers indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife. You think these people were a little bit envious of Paul and his position of power in Christ? You think maybe? Why is it? Why is it that when you take a man that has spent the time studying God's word, that walks in a little bit of power with God, why is it? 
that so many pastors will not invite him to their church to speak. There was a church over, a big Baptist church over in Fort Worth that had 3,500 members. And one of the deacons there in that church, his wife, had been sick for 12 years with a heart problem. And she was an RN. She had had a heart problem and emphysema for 12 years. And she finally had to quit at about 58 or something, 60. Could not work because of she couldn't walk across the, through the kitchen. And had to stop and lean on the counter. Well, a friend of theirs knew me and he came to me and called me one Saturday and asked me if I would go over to this couple's house and talk to them Saturday afternoon. I said, sure. So I went over to their house in Richland Hills and I sat down with that couple and for five hours taught them the Word of God. Just the two of them, man and a wife and that friend of theirs. And after five hours, all of a sudden, the woman, when I went to talk about this word, so-so, she looked up at me and she said, Thurman, it's already done. I said, that's absolutely right. I said, are you ready to be prayed for? She said, yes. I'm going to be healed when you pray for me. Now, she's been sick 12 years with emphysema and a heart problem. So I walk up to her and I lay my hands on it, rebuke the devil, command that beast to leave. I said, you lost this woman. I said, she, her doubt and unbelief is now gone and you're out of here in the name of Jesus. I said, it's done. Wow, she gets up, she's, let me go in the, let me go in the kitchen and make y'all some hot tea. And she runs in there and makes us some tea, and she's running around her like nothing's wrong with her. You thought she got healed. <laughs> well, Sunday, I mean, Monday afternoon when I got home, Betty had taken a phone call, and she said, do you know a man or a woman by this name? I said, yeah, I was spent Saturday afternoon at their home when I went out praying for people Saturday. And she said, well, he called and said his wife run up and down the stairs at their church yesterday and she's telling everybody she can do anything. Said she's out in the yard today planting flowers. Said she's totally healed. I said, well, praise God. That's what I expected. So about six, eight weeks later, he called me and said, would you come over to our Baptist church and teach healing some Wednesday night? We got 40 people on their prayer list in our Baptist church that have cancer alone. Forty people in a Baptist church of 3,500 with cancer alone. He said the prayer list goes on and on and on. But there's 40 of them on there with cancer in church. I said, well, I'd be happy to, but of course your senior pastor would have to approve that. Oh, he said, well, Thurman, that wouldn't be a problem. I'll tell him about my wife. I said, well, you tell him about your wife and then you see what he says. So they went to him and talked to him and he told him about what happened to his wife and how she was miraculously healed. He said, we need this man to come over on Wednesday night in a prayer service and teach healing to all these sick people. He says, what does he use to get people healed? He said, well, the Word of God. He said, what scriptures does he use? He said, well, man, he gave me a whole list of them. I'll go home and get it. He went about home and got it back in those days. I didn't have all these words committed to memory, so I used to take a list of about ten pages of just scriptures. Just scriptures. Nothing else. Just to remind me where to go for all these things. And so he took those ten pages of scripture and gave them to his pastor. He said, these are the ones he used. About two or three weeks goes by. And he said, well, are you going to have him over here to teach on Wednesday night? He said, absolutely not. He said, what do you mean? 
He said, if a man wants to come in his church and teach the scriptures that's on that page, he'd bust his church half in two. And I'm not going to have a division in this church. So I never got to teach in that church. So guess what? That man's going to stand accountable before the king of kings. The word was presented to him. I would not want to be him when he stands before God. Isn't that a shame? That's a shame. But it says, Paul says, some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife. And some also of goodwill. That's like that other lady that called me the other day. She said, I give my pastor some of your teachings. And I've also spread them out throughout a lot of members of our church and said, we're an Assembly of God church in New Mexico. And she said, right now, about two or three months later, she said, a lot of the teachings I've been hearing on your tapes, my pastor is using those same teachings, and he's teaching them from my pulpit. And she said, we're seeing great and awesome things in our church. All I can say is, Jesus, you're in control. You're the head of the church. And I mean, I, I don't care. I don't care who does it. God's the one that does it. Amen. I don't hear which one. If, but if we preach this stuff, and if God gives us revelation, in fact, there was a lady I was talking to a while ago. She's here today. She says, when I got a hold of your teaching and I listened to the first CD, DVD, or what, videotape, or whatever it was she listened to, she said, I thought, said to myself, this man's teaching the Word of God. I thought, gee, I thought that's what we're all supposed to be doing, teaching the Word of God. If we're preachers, that's all we're supposed to be doing, teaching the Word. But that's what I do. But it said, Paul says here that some of them are preaching it in envy and strife, and some because of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention or selfish conditions, and not sincerely, Supposing to add affliction to my bonds or to my chains. But the other of love. Two different kinds of people there, isn't they? One of them wants to bind him up deeper and keep him in jail. The others are preaching of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. If you don't preach the gospel, you'll not have any problems. But if you preach the gospel you will come under attack by the enemy. I can assure you, if somebody's not throwing rocks at you or you're not having a problem uh, where you work, you're not preaching the gospel. If you're talking about Jesus, somebody is going to come against you. That's just the way life is. What then, notwithstanding every with, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached... And I therein do rejoice, yea, and I will rejoice. So if they're preaching the Word of God, we don't care for what reason why they're preaching it, as long as they're preaching it. But everybody in all churches are not preaching this Word. I don't understand that. But if the Word says it, then that's what we're going to teach. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectations and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Now think about what he's just going to say here. For to me to live 
is Christ. And to die is gain. You've got to get to that place. For to, to me to live is Christ. But to die is gain. When you get to that point in your life where you know to live is Christ and you're preaching the gospel and you're preaching the power of the gospel and it's saving souls, healing bodies, delivering people and setting people free, that's what every Christian is supposed to be doing on this earth. That's the war or the battle you and I are to be in. We are to attack the enemy every day head on with the Word of God. Everywhere we go and everybody we come in contact with, we are to talk to them about Jesus. I went to Home Depot yesterday. No, wasn't Yeah, Saturday. Yeah, yesterday was Saturday, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, day Sunday, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. But I went to Home Depot yesterday and I thought Cheryl was going to leave at six last night to go sing. So I thought there's plenty of time. No problem, because I was, it was only three. So I went over there to buy studs and sheetrock and, and uh, uh, lavatories and all that kind of stuff for the new addition we're putting on the ministry center. And as I go into the place, I go get my stuff. And as I'm getting the stuff, one of the men, John, uh, he comes over and he's talking with me. And I said, by the way, John, are you a Christian? Oh, Yeah. And I talked to him about Christ as we're loading and talking about things. And he said, you know, you're just on fire for Jesus. He said, I can just feel and sense the power of God just flowing out of you. I said, well, Jesus told me to be about his business. I'm preaching his word. I'm talking about him. I love him. I said, I see him do so many mighty things. He said, you get to see him do mighty things? I said, oh, yeah. Lots of them. I said, let me tell you the story of my granddaughter. And I told him. First, I told him about losing my wife and daughter. He said, that's something great. I said, well, if if you get where I am, you realize to live is Christ and to die is gain. I realized that Betty and Amanda got to go home to be with Jesus a whole lot earlier than I did. And I said, those two girls would never want to come back. To this after being there. I said, so I realized that. But I said, God allowed me to step into the hospital in a realm of faith beyond anything I had ever experienced. And I got to see nine children miraculously healed in Cook's Medical Center in 30 days. And I said, my own granddaughter was an awesome testimony. He said, what was wrong with her? I said, well, let me tell you about the other little girl first. I told her about... Kelly, and how that her head was busted open, how both pelvis were crushed, and they said two and a half to three months before she could stand with a walker, and I said after two and a half weeks, she's back in school running and playing as if nothing happened, with no scars on her body. He said, that's awesome. I said, but that's nothing compared to my grandbaby. He said, you saw something greater? I said, oh yeah, her eyes were jerked out of her brain. Her skull was crushed. I said, her, all the bones around her eyes were crushed, and her face was tore all to pieces. She was bleeding everywhere. 
Her brain stem was severed. I said blood was running out her nose, eyes, ears, mouth, everywhere. And her right knee crushed, her left leg broken in two places. And I walked into that room. And I said, Lord, you made me a promise in John fifteen seven. You said, if my words abide in you and you abide in me, I can ask you whatever I want to and you will do it for me. So I said, Father, I've met the criteria. I've hidden the word in my heart. Now, it works according to the power that's in you. Is that what he said? Now, I've studied this word and hid it in my heart for years and years and years and years. How much of that power is in me? Obviously enough at that point to get a mighty miracle done. So I spoke his word and asked him to do such a mighty miracle on Caitlin. I don't want any scars on her face. I want her brainstem reconnected. I want her eyes reconnected. I want her to run and play. And I don't want her to be normal, Lord. I want her to be supernatural. And I think that's something where we as Christians, we give up too easy and say, Oh God, please just let her live. No, young lady, I don't want her just to live. I want her to not have a scar on her face. And I want her to be recovered to the point that it will give God some glory. I mean, if she just lives, somebody said, well, the doctors are the one put her back together. It wasn't a big deal. And it took six months for her to get out of the hospital. No, I want her out of there. And when that little face healed, Lord, I don't want a scar on that face. And in two weeks, not a scar on that face. Not a scar. And then, of course, she was completely healed and restored. And today she's seven years old. And we get this letter from the school the other day. Caitlin is not only learning faster than most people in the class, but we had races this Friday, and she was the fastest girl in the second grade. And for a little girl that can't never walk or ever do nothing, all I can say is glory to the name of the King. Praise the King. Glory to God. How does it happen? The revelation I got this week, it happens according to the power that works in you. Do you want a lot of that power in you? I do. I want a lot of it in you. How are you going to get it? Well, let me tell you, you can't come up and let me pray for you and say, Lord, fill them with the Word of God. (laughs) Wouldn't that be wonderful? If I could walk up and lay my hand on you and say, Lord, hold it. Let me put a little hole right in it and put a funnel on it. Let me grind the Word up and drop it and pour it in His head. We'd all take that with me, brother. But it don't work like that, does it? We've got to go home and study it just like I did. But for you to live is Christ. But to die is gain. Well, I don't know about you, but I ain't ready to die yet. I'm going to kick a few more devils out and I want to teach a little bit more word. I want to save a few more souls. And I want to, I'm going to fight that devil day in and day out. Ain't you, brother? Amen. I have the lethal weapons, the sword of the Spirit, and we're going to beat that devil in the name of Jesus because we are sons and daughters of God. And when that devil comes to us to try to put anything on us, when people say, well, maybe it's not God's will for Caitlin to live. Maybe it's not God's will for Kelly to live. Then he shouldn't have put them wonderful promises in his word. If my words abide in you, you can ask me anything you want to. Is that right, Gloria? When the Word abides in you, the King gives you no limitations as His obedient son or daughter. What you can ask for, right, Ernest? Right. Amen. I'm telling you, it's wonderful to see Jesus do these great and awesome things. So hide the Word in your heart and become that man of God and woman of God. Now, it's Communion Sunday. We're going to have communion right now. 
Those of you that are going to pass out the elements, we would appreciate it if you would go and take your places and you would bring and begin to pass out the bread and the juice. This most important thing. What, honey? I can't have a testimony. No, we're not going to have any today. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We're going to pass out the communion. This is the most important thing that there is. That Jesus, He gave His body, which is a representation of this bread. Jesus gave this bread. And as you'll see, it's matzah, or it's Jewish bread. It is flat. It has no yeast in it whatsoever. And He had no leaven in Him, no sin. So this Jewish bread, which has been pierced, the little holes that are in it, which has been striped, This is his body. And he says, Thank you. We take, if we do not eat his body and drink his blood, we have nothing in him. If you have a sickness or a disease that you're having trouble of getting rid of, you need to realize. It's always God's will to heal His children. He promised it. He came to destroy the works of the devil. So when you repent of your sins, if you've got a sickness or a disease, you need to pray for it. Now, a lot of people say, well, and I don't know how many times I've had people ask me this question. If I've been prayed for once, is it okay for me to be prayed for again? Some people will tell you, well, if you didn't get it done right the first time, then you're praying the rest of the time in unbelief. But I can show you one example in the Word of God where Jesus Himself had to pray for a man twice. Do you all know where that's at? There was a man blind. He came to Jesus and said, Master, I want to see. And Jesus prayed for him. And he he said, what can you see? He said, I can see men as trees. So Jesus prayed for him again. Now what do you see? He said, I can see clearly. Now if Jesus had to pray for a man twice, and he was full of the Holy Ghost and power without measure, then you may have to pray for them a lot of times. How many times did Elijah pray for rain before it rained? How many? Seven times. If Elijah, operating under the anointing of the Holy Ghost, had to pray seven times before he got rain, how many times may we have to pray? Hey, we don't give up. We just stand on the Word. And when you have a sickness or a disease, you've got to realize that didn't come from God. It came from the devil. And if you are a man, uh, the priest of your home, and you're walking in obedience, and your mate or your children have a sickness, you go and lay hands on them, rebuke the devil, command him to leave, quote the Word of God. And the next day, if that thing's still there, you do it again. And if it's still there the next day, you do it again. And if it's still there the next day, you do it again. And if it's still there six months later, you keep on. You don't give up never. Somebody said, well, maybe it's not God's will to heal you. If you don't know any more than that, you ain't going to get it. You're going to be sick. But the Lord healed you on the cross 2,000 years ago by this. His body was beaten and bruised for your healing. He paid the price for His church so we don't have to be sick. He gave us power and dominion and authority. Now then, I've only, I haven't walked in that as long as some people have. 
Before Kenneth Hagin died, I saw him on television one night. Hardly ever saw Kenneth Hagin on TV. He was virtually never on television. But I happened to turn on TV and one night and he was on there. And I heard him say, I have not had a headache in 60 years. 60 years. I have not been sick in 60 years. Now, isn't that amazing? And the guy asked him, how did you walk in that for 60 years? He said, by walking in the God kind of love. That's what he said. He said, now there's a few times the enemy would work on me with somebody and I would get really upset and said, praise God. I'd say, you know, I'm going to get that guy for what he done. And my wife would say, but honey, you know what the word says. You've got to walk in love. He said, I'd go over and pick up the phone. said, I'm going to turn him into this water assemblies of God or whatever. He'd pick up the phone and he said, I'd lay it back down. He said, I'd go over here and I'd think a little while and that thing would start working. I'd say, I've got to turn him in. I'd go over and I'd pick that phone up and the Holy Ghost say, put that down. He said, that's not the God kind of love. So he said, I never got out of the God kind of love. And by not getting out of the God kind of love, he said, I hadn't had a sick day in 60 years. Now see, if God's no respecter of persons, and He was able to walk in that, what can we do? The same thing. We don't have to walk there either because of this. So when we take this by faith, this is His body. It represents Him and it represents healing. So we do not have to be sick. And I can guarantee you, if you will believe God's Word, you have a problem. If you repent of your sins and you'll believe His Word, we can get you healed of anything if you'll believe God's Word. Now, sometimes it takes lots of prayer. You know, sometimes we get people healed right off the bat. And sometimes it takes a little while. It may depend. Let me put it this way. It may depend on your sin and how long you were involved in your sin that opened the door to these demons of hell, these wicked spirits, and how many of them came into you is how long it takes us to drive them out. In fact, Cheryl read me a a deal out of a book the other day about some guy that prayed over a woman seven nights in a row that was blind, and it was the seventh night before she finally got healed. And she, he asked the Lord on the way home, why did nothing happen the first six times that I prayed for her? And the Lord said something happened every time. When you prayed, a tentacle of that demon was being torn loose from her eye. Every night when you rebuked that devil, only one tentacle went away. And you stopped. See, if he'd have known that, he'd have continued to rebuke that devil. Can you see? She said, no. He said, back down in the name of Jesus. Until she finally could have saw. But he'd rebuked that devil one time for seven nights. And every time one tentacle would be tore off. And finally, when that last tentacle was tore off, that woman could see. The battle has been won by the king. But we're going to have to make it happen on this earth. He's given us the power. And by the according to the power that works in us. And that's a shame because we have such a little tiny measure of that power. Because we don't have the Word in us. Well, I think it's time we become a Word church. Amen. If that's one thing I can say about the Baptists. They did teach people to memorize a lot of Scripture. They don't teach many of the powerful Scriptures, but they got a lot of Word in them. they got a lot of Word in them. So if the Baptists would get 
the powerful parts of the word as much as they got some of the other word in a man. They would be the most awesome people out there. Now, Father, in the name of Jesus, we praise you and thank you for what this bread represents. 